This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Hello and welcome to Reality Check. Today is Friday the 29th of November 2019 and I'm your host, Tony Pittman. is episode 80 and the last ever episode of Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Reality Check is a show designed to give you a healthy dose of reality and we do that by promoting the art of critical thinking and skeptical analysis. Each show we bring you a roundup of LGBT news followed by an in-depth analysis of an issue related to the paranormal or the pseudoscientific And finally, we wrap up each show with a movie review. On today's show, because it's our final show, it's going to be a little bit different. First, we're going to do an LGBT news roundup for the last few months. Then we're going to do another type of LGBT news roundup, this time looking back at the highlights of the last 10 years since Reality Check launched back in 2019. Then we'll make a round of predictions for the indefinite future. Then, finally, in our movie review, we'll have a look at the award-winning film from South Korea, Burning. So for all that and more, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. So first, our LGBT news roundup for the period since our last episode of Reality Check back on the 4th of April, which is now almost eight months ago. So let's start, as usual, with marriage news, and let's begin by heading to the place that had the most exciting marriage news of the year, if not the last few years, and that place is, of course, Taiwan. Now, in our last episode of Reality Check, things were looking a little bit shaky for marriage equality in Taiwan. The Constitutional Court had set a deadline to introduce it by May this year, but then there had been that horrible referendum back in November last year that had come out against same-sex marriage. So, how did it all pan out in the end? Well, I'm pleased to tell you, dear listener, that this story has a very happy ending. 
because just as the Constitutional Court had decreed two years ago, full marriage equality came into effect on the 24th of May this year. So after all the protests and all the political maneuvering and the stupid referendum and all the ups and downs, it finally became a reality. Basically, in the end, what happened was that the government said that the result of the referendum could not undo what the Constitutional Court had decreed. Or in other words, a referendum cannot create a law contrary to the Constitution. And the Constitution requires equality, so that's what Taiwan got. In February this year, the government introduced a marriage equality bill, which was passed by the legislature, signed by the president, and came into effect on May 24th which was the final day of the deadline that the Constitutional Court had given them to take action. So it's a wonderful result. And what's even more significant is that it means that marriage equality now exists on every continent on Earth. Until May this year, nowhere in Asia had marriage equality. But now they have it in Taiwan. So it's a very exciting and historic development. And a great way to finish off the decade of the 2010s. And to finish off Reality Check 2, with marriage equality at long last taking its first steps onto the Asian continent. The first of many more steps over the coming years and decades, hopefully. Okay, let's leave Taiwan now and head across the Pacific to South America. Because apart from Taiwan, there was one other country that also achieved marriage equality over these last few months. And that was Ecuador. On the 12th of June this year, the Constitutional Court issued a ruling opening up marriage to same-sex couples which then came into effect on the 8th of July, meaning that since then, same-sex weddings have been taking place in Ecuador. And Ecuador has now become the 28th country in the world to achieve marriage equality. So a big congratulations to all our listeners there in Ecuador. Now, this happy outcome was largely a result of years of work by LGBT activists, and particularly two legal cases that they brought through the courts. The judges in their final ruling were also heavily influenced by the 2018 decision of the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, which legally requires most countries in the Americas to introduce marriage equality. Ecuador has now finally complied with that ruling, and let's hope many other countries in the Americas will follow suit very soon. Now, apart from Taiwan and Ecuador getting marriage equality nationwide, there were also a few regions of countries that achieved marriage equality as well over these last few months. And they include five more states of Mexico. Yes, dear listener, five states in just a few months. 
They were Aguascalientes, San Luis Potosí, Hidalgo, Baja California Sur, and Oaxaca, which means that now 18 out of Mexico's 31 states have marriage equality. So we're now well past the halfway mark and still climbing. And if the dominoes keep falling as fast as they have been over the last few months, it won't be long before the remaining 13 states also get same-sex marriage. Because of an earlier ruling by the Supreme Court, it is inevitable that they'll all fall eventually. Hopefully, it'll happen sooner rather than later. And finally, the other region of the world that achieved marriage equality in these last few months was Northern Ireland. Well, technically it hasn't come into force there yet, but it is now inevitable that on January 13th next year, so in about six weeks from now, it will come into effect in Northern Ireland and we'll see the first same-sex weddings taking place in Belfast and other parts of the region, which will be very exciting because it'll mean that finally the entire United Kingdom will have marriage equality. And the way it came about there, finally, after years of blocking and delay, was, well, was through a bill of the UK Parliament in London mandating that same-sex marriage come into effect in the Territory on January 13th. The Northern Ireland Assembly has been in suspension for almost three years now, so effectively the region is being ruled directly from London, which is not really an ideal situation, but the good news is that we're about to see marriage equality throughout the whole of the UK very, very soon. Now, if you remember, dear listener, this process in the UK began back in 2014 when first England and Wales and then Scotland got marriage equality all within that year. Now, Northern Ireland is finally about to get it as well. And I have to admit there is a certain satisfaction in being able to end reality check with this issue finally resolved. Here at Reality Check, we like to have as many loose ends tied up as possible before we finally wrap up our concluding episode. So Taiwan is now sorted out. Marriage equality is starting to appear in Asia. And now the UK is sorted out as well. It's a very nice and comforting feeling. All right, that's it for marriage news. Let's now turn to decriminalization news. And there was one country that decriminalized homosexuality over these past few months, and that was Botswana. Now, it happened there through a ruling of the High Court on the 11th of June. That decision has actually been appealed to the Court of Appeal, but hopefully they'll agree and the old colonial-era sodomy law in Botswana will be dead and buried forever. Let's hope so. Botswana actually has some pretty good anti-discrimination laws on the basis of sexual orientation as well. So things are looking pretty hopeful there in Botswana. 
Now, finally, before we finish our news wrap-up, just a couple more pieces of good news, both from the United States. Well, not so much news, but uh, more notable historic moments involving LGBT people that I think are worth mentioning. The first is the current campaign of Pete Buttigieg the first ever openly gay Democratic presidential candidate in U.S. history. And what's most exciting is that he's not just a token candidate. He's had a very successful campaign so far. He's grabbed a lot of headlines. And right now, as of the late November 2019, he's among the top four Democratic candidates to be the presidential nominee in 2020 which is truly historic. A few years ago, an openly gay candidate would have been unthinkable. But today, it's a reality. And happily, his sexual orientation hasn't really been a hindrance on the campaign trail. Now, I don't think he's likely to win the nomination, but the fact that he's got as far as he has indicates a lot to me about the historic social changes that we've seen in Western liberal democracies over the last few years. And it's a very hopeful sign for the future, in my opinion. And on a very similar vein, I'd also like to mention the extraordinary success this year of the African-American singer and rapper Lil Nas X. He's only 20 years old, and this year his song, Old Town Road, became the most successful song on the U.S. charts ever in terms of weeks at number one. It hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in April this year and stayed there for an unprecedented 19 weeks until the end of August longer than any other song in the history of the charts. And what's most exciting is that in June, in the midst of this historic success, Lil Nas X came out as a gay man and received a mostly positive response. So the reason I mentioned these two cases, Pete Buttigieg and Lil Nas X, is because... Well, I think they indicate something about the changing times we're living in. Two highly successful and highly prominent men, and both openly gay. In other words, two more reasons to feel optimistic about the future, and two more signs that society is actually heading in the right direction. Despite the occasional backward step, I think that we're constantly and inevitably moving forward. All right, that brings to an end our last ever LGBT news roundup here on Reality Check. But it's not quite the end of our LGBT news because as this is our final episode, we're going to now try to refresh your memory, dear listener, and have a look back over the LGBT news highlights of the last 10 years. Why 10 years? Because that's how long Reality Check has been on the air. 
This show was first broadcast on the 28th of July 2009, an entire decade ago. So I thought it would be an interesting exercise to look back over this last decade and remind ourselves of what's happened and just how far we've actually come. So to find out, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9 in Melbourne. Joy.org.au for the world. You lie, just It's Michael Kirby here, and I am introducing Joy 94.9, the best radio station in Victoria. Welcome back to Reality Check. I'm Tony Pittman, and the station is Joy 94.9. And the song you just heard there was Panini by Lil Nas X, one of the biggest rising stars of 2019, and, as mentioned earlier, an openly gay African-American man. Now, in a traditional episode of Reality Check, now would be the time when we take a sceptical examination of an issue related to pseudoscience or the paranormal. But today is not a traditional episode of Reality Check. In fact, it is our last ever episode. And so today, we're going to look back over the last 10 years and remind ourselves of what's happened and see how far we've come. And it's actually a fortuitous coincidence that we're now in the final weeks of the decade of the 2010s, or the 20-teens, or however you want to call it. So now, as we're about to head into the 2020s, it's interesting to look back over this past decade and try to determine what defined it. So let's start with Australia and let's go back and try to remember what the situation was like for LGBT rights back in 2009. Well, at that point in time, we'd only recently just come out of the long, dark years of the Howard government, in which there was virtually no progress on LGBT rights. Then in 2008, the Rudd government introduced a package of reforms to give relationship recognition to same-sex couples. So those reforms were all just coming into effect back in 2009. They didn't include marriage, though. And back then, at the state level, only Victoria, Tasmania and the ACT had any form of registered partnership system for same-sex couples. And when it comes to adoption rights, well, back in 2009, only the ACT and Western Australia allowed joint adoption by same-sex couples. So, overall, things were pretty backward back in 2009. But compare that with where we are today. We now have marriage equality nationwide. And all states and territories allow joint adoption by same-sex couples. So legally, at this point, we've pretty much achieved everything. 
So in fact, it's been quite a dramatic turnaround and it's encouraging to look back and realize how far we've come over this last decade. The 2010s really was the decade when we finally achieved LGBT equality in Australia. Well, at least LGBT legal equality. But what about the rest of the world? What have been the biggest LGBT rights developments outside Australia? Well, in my opinion, the one most significant event of the last decade happened quite recently, in fact, on September 6th last year. And that was the day that the Supreme Court of India unanimously threw out the sodomy law and thus homosexuality ceased being a crime in India. And given that India now has a population approaching 1.4 billion, well, this was a decision that directly affected tens of millions of people. No other LGBT rights event of the last 10 years has come close to having that order of magnitude of effect. So, in my opinion, it's the most significant event of LGBT rights of the last decade. Now, speaking of decriminalization, well, there were in fact about a dozen other countries that also decriminalized homosexuality over the last 10 years. It hasn't been a huge flood, and most of those places were small countries, but it is a slow and steady stream, and the global tendency is definitely towards decriminalization. A decade ago, there were about 75 countries where homosexuality was a crime. Today, we're probably down to about 65. So we're slowly heading in the right direction, which is definitely encouraging. But I don't think that this past decade will really be remembered for decriminalization. What it will be remembered for, I think, is the huge leaps forward that were made when it came to marriage equality. So let's take a closer look at that issue. And, well, as you know, dear listener, it's probably the one that's preoccupied us more than any other over these last 10 years here on Reality Check. In fact, I think it's safe to say that we've pretty much followed every development on this issue wherever it's happened in the world. In fact, there are probably very few other radio shows or podcasts who followed this issue on a global level as closely as we have. And looking back now from late 2019, I think it's clear that this past decade has been the defining decade of marriage equality, at least in the Western world. Back in July 2009, when Reality Check began, marriage equality had only been around for a few years, and only seven countries allowed it. They were the Netherlands, Belgium, Spain, South Africa, Canada, Norway, and Sweden, plus a handful of states of the USA. Today, in contrast, 28 countries have it nationwide, including the entire United States. 
So over the decade, we basically saw Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, Colombia, Portugal, France, Germany, all the Nordic countries, Luxembourg, Malta, Ireland, New Zealand, the UK, over half the states of Mexico, and even Australia, all finally achieve marriage equality. So this decade has been the turning point for the West when it comes to the acceptance of same-sex relationships. We went from just a handful of countries in 2009 to now pretty much the entire Western world. In other words, in the time Reality Check has been on the air, marriage equality has gone from being seen as a fringe issue to now being completely mainstream and accepted throughout the West. And I want to make two observations about this quite profound change in our societies. The first is just how solid and irreversible this change has been. In every country that's achieved marriage equality, after years of fiery debate, once it's a done deal, once it's passed and come into force, the debate just ends. The issue is over, and there's no question of ever going back. I mean, today in Australia, marriage equality is just not an issue anymore. It's the law now. No one debates it. No one's calling for its repeal. The argument is over. We're moving on. And that's pretty much been the situation everywhere else in the world where it's come into force. Well, maybe with the one exception of California and Proposition 8. But I think it's pretty safe to say that in every country that's got marriage equality, today it is now no longer an issue. There were years and years of heated debate and hand-wringing and political fighting before it happened, but now that it's law, it's really here to stay. There's no question of ever repealing it or going back. And that's pretty much true everywhere that it's happened. And I've always suspected that that's why the opponents of marriage equality have been so vociferous and often so desperate during the debates because they knew this perfectly well. They knew that once it was in place, they would have lost the argument forever. There'd be no going back. It just feels like such a logical next step for the natural progression of society. And once we get it, it just feels right and normal and everyone just moves on. Which brings me to the second point I wanted to make, which is that, well, as you probably know, dear listener, every year we made a series of marriage equality predictions here on Reality Check, uh, and they were always predictions for the next 12 months. You may have noticed we love making predictions here on Reality Check. But as we always point out, of course, no one can predict the future with certainty. It's actually impossible. But what's interesting when it comes to marriage equality is in fact just how predictable this change has been. I mean, back in 2009, it was entirely predictable 
that another 20 countries would achieve marriage equality over the coming decade. It just felt inevitable. I don't think anybody from 2009 would be surprised to learn that by late 2019, 28 countries would have it. And I don't think anyone would be surprised by which countries have it. Basically, the Western democracies of Europe, the Americas, and Oceania. Of course, what was unpredictable were all the finer details, exactly which countries and when and how and in which order and exactly what year. We couldn't have predicted that. But the fact that dozens more countries would get it over the decade, that was entirely predictable. And even if we didn't manage to correctly predict the countries that would get marriage equality each year, well, the vast majority of the countries that we predicted over this decade of the show eventually did get marriage equality at some point during those 10 years. In other words, the exact year was hard to predict, but the fact that they would get it sometime in the coming years, well, that was a much, much easier prediction to make. I mean, take Australia, for example. Back in 2009, we couldn't tell you exactly which year it would get marriage equality, but we could tell you almost with certainty that it would happen within the coming decade, which, of course, it did. Because there's just a kind of inexorable logic in the social and legal changes that have taken place in the West over the last three or four decades that makes marriage equality basically an inevitability. Once you accept that discrimination on the basis of sex or gender is wrong and that discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation is wrong, and once you end specific gender roles within the institution of marriage, then marriage equality just becomes an inevitability. You simply can't justify prohibiting it anymore. So, with that in mind, it's now time to indulge one last time in our favorite hobby here at Reality Check and make a final round of predictions, this time not just for the coming year, but for the entire indefinite future of the world. In other words, how will the marriage equality dominoes fall from now on into the endless future? Or at least, let's say, for the next 500 years. Okay, so let's start with next year, 2020. And, well, I'm going to consult my spirit guides for a moment and... Okay, I predict that the next country to get marriage equality will be Costa Rica. And I'm going to predict that it'll happen on May 26, 2020. Which is actually pretty easy to predict because that's what the Supreme Court has declared. And so that's what will happen. But beyond Costa Rica, uh, well, the predictions become a little more tricky. But that's never stopped us before here at Reality Check, so I'm going to make some more predictions. I'm going to predict that, well, that marriage equality will continue to spread throughout Latin America. 
More states of Mexico will continue to get it until finally the whole country has it. I think also Chile and Panama will get it too, probably sooner rather than later. Then gradually the other countries of Latin America, Peru, Venezuela, Cuba, Bolivia, eventually Central America, and then eventually it'll spread throughout the islands of the Caribbean, including even that bastion of homophobia, Jamaica. But that's still a long way down the track. Meanwhile, over in Europe, well, I predict it's going to continue to spread across the continent over there as well. And I predict that the next European country to get it will be, hmm, I'm going to say Switzerland. Then maybe Italy, then maybe Czech Republic, Slovenia, Estonia, Greece maybe. Then I think we'll see more of Eastern Europe and the Balkans, places like Croatia, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, then Serbia and the rest of the Balkans. And then in the meantime, while all that's happening, I think there'll be small advances in Asia as well. Now that Taiwan's got it, I suspect it won't be too far away in maybe Thailand, then maybe Japan, then maybe South Korea, maybe Israel also. And then after that, ooh, maybe the rest of Southeast Asia, eventually, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, the Philippines. And probably it'll also start to spread throughout the Pacific Islands as well. However, once you've pretty much got most of Europe and the Americas, plus a few key Asian countries, well, then it becomes a lot more difficult to predict. By that point, we're starting to head way into the future, and the number of variables increases exponentially. But, well, I think we can be sure that societal changes are going to take place, pretty much everywhere in the world. And they're probably mostly going to be driven by advances in communications technology. Just how fast that'll happen and how and where, well, we don't know, but I'm pretty sure it'll happen. And well, given that the future is endless, you've got to say that eventually even places like China and India will eventually get marriage equality at some point. Even Russia and the former Soviet bloc, they'll eventually get it too. I mean, they're just going to take quite a long time. Then there's sub-Saharan Africa, still a long way off there, but it'll happen eventually. I suspect it'll probably begin in the south of the continent with the neighbors of South Africa, probably Botswana, Namibia, Angola, starting around there. And then, probably last of all, there's the Muslim world. They'll probably take the longest. Now, maybe some of those countries will go earlier than others. For example, Turkey will probably be one of the first. But for most Muslim countries, I think it's going to take quite a while. But if I had to predict, yeah, I would say after Turkey, we could probably see it in Indonesia and Malaysia. 
then, well, it's harder to imagine it coming to North Africa and even harder to imagine it spreading throughout Central Asia and the Middle East. But hopefully one day, I mean, the question is, will places like Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia ever get marriage equality? Now, in 2019, it seems completely impossible. But, as I said, the future is endless, so we can never say never. Anyway, those are my predictions for the coming years, decades, and centuries. We start with Costa Rica, and we finish with Saudi Arabia. Now we'll, we'll have to schedule a special episode of Reality Check for the year 2500 to look back over our predictions and see how we went. But, you know, I do trust my spirit guides and I feel pretty confident with what they've told me and I think we'll pretty much get most of those predictions spot on. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. All right, we're coming towards the end of the show now, but if you'd like your last chance to send in a comment, please do so. The address is realitycheckedtony at gmail.com. You can also visit our webpage for past episodes of Reality Check. That's at realitycheckonline.blogspot.com.au. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into this week's movie review. Made in Melbourne for Australia and the world. Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Reality Check with me, Tony Pittman, on Joy 94.9. Also streaming live at joy.org.au and also available as a podcast to listen to anywhere in the world on your little pod. The song you just heard there was Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison from 1996. That's 23 years ago already. Wow. And I played that song because we actually played it on the very first episode of Reality Check back in 2009. And so it's uh, now in our final episode. It's paying homage to episode one. All right. It's movie review time here on Reality Check. And the movie up for review today is the South Korean film Burning. Now, Burning was actually released in the first half of the year here in Australia, so it's not that new anymore, but I think it's probably the most interesting film I've seen this year, so that's why I decided to talk about it for our last episode of Reality Check. Now, Burning was directed by Lee Chang-dong, who had been a fairly low-key arthouse director in Korea, until suddenly the extraordinary success of Burning launched him into the international limelight. The film has won countless international awards over the last year or so, including the Frobeski Prize at Cannes 
and it was also the Korean entry for Best Foreign Language Film at this year's Academy Awards. And I have to say, I think it deserves all those accolades. It's an engrossing, clever, and very enjoyable film. Burning tells the story of a young guy, Jong Soo, who one day in Seoul bumps into an old childhood neighbor, Hae Mi. She's about to leave on a trip for Africa and asks Jong Soo to feed her cat while she's away. A few weeks later, when she returns, she arrives with a new friend, Ben, a rich and mysterious guy played by Stephen Yun. Mysterious because neither his intentions nor the source of all his money are at all clear. A few days later, Hae Mi disappears, and Jong Soo becomes increasingly worried about her and increasingly suspicious of Ben's involvement in her apparent disappearance. But has she really disappeared? Is there really anything to worry about? Or has Hey Me just gone on another trip? And is Ben perfectly innocent in the whole affair? Well, one of the great things about this movie is that unsettling element of uncertainty and ambiguity, which I really delight in. Actually, unfortunately, Burning was marketed as pretty much a thriller, which it's really not. It doesn't have the tropes and beats of a classic thriller. It's much more of a slow burn psychological drama in which the key question is whether what the protagonist imagines is happening really is happening, or whether it's all just a result of his overactive imagination. Now, I love those kinds of movies, the kind that keep wrongfooting you and keep you. Doubting until the very end, so that's one reason why I really enjoyed Burning. That and the constant dark, unsettling, mysterious mood that it manages to create throughout. And I have to say, it's also a movie that has a fantastic ending. The last scene, the last three minutes, really elevated this film to a new level. And I came out feeling really satisfied by what I'd just seen. Another thing I enjoyed particularly about Burning is its two male leads. The protagonist Jong Soo is played by Korean actor Yoo Ah In, who is just fantastic and totally believable in the role. I'd never seen him before, but apparently he's a relatively famous actor in Korea. He's so watchable on screen, and he doesn't look at all like a movie star, which of course makes him all the more appealing as a leading man. I'm definitely going to look out for him in the future. The other male lead is the Korean-American actor Stephen Yun. Who's probably best known for his role in the Walking Dead TV series? He's now left that series and is branching out into movies, which is great news for cinema goers because he's just great. Another fantastic screen presence who I'm definitely going to be following from now on as well. 
So to watch those two actors, you are in and Stephen Yun dueling it out on the screen together, well, it's one of the delicious pleasures of this film. They're both quite magnetic and it's great to watch them interact together on the screen. So, I would say if you enjoy psychological dramas, especially those set in a different culture, and if you enjoy watching great actors who are not traditional movie stars, and you love that dark, unsettling mood that keeps you feeling discombobulated throughout the whole movie, then I would highly recommend Burning. It's probably not still on at the cinemas anymore, but I'm sure you'll be able to find it on a streaming service near you. It's a great film and one that comes highly recommended by Reality Check. Now, just briefly before we conclude this final episode of Reality Check, I just wanted to mention that I'll be at the Australian Skeptics National Convention coming up next weekend, the 7th and 8th of December. In fact, I'm going to be the MC of the whole event, so if you go along, you won't be able to miss me. I'll be right up there on the stage. But if you do go along, please come over and introduce yourself and say hi. I'm always delighted to meet listeners of Reality Check. Well, that brings us to the end of the 80th and final episode of Reality Check. I hope you enjoyed this show and all the previous 79 shows. You can still get in touch at realitycheckTony at gmail.com and visit our website realitycheckonline.blogspot.com.au So all that's left to say is thanks for all your contributions over the years, farewell, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.